0: Good morning Sunnybrook or should I say which is how we say hello uh, when you're in Thailand uh, and I have actually been blessed for the last couple of weeks actually to spend some time. I had a close friend in graduate school, school who is uh, a Lisu leader among the Lisu people, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, and we've talked for many, many years, actually over 12 years, about the possibility of connecting and doing some teaching. and. Uh, It just felt like it was time, and so really grateful for your prayers, really grateful for the fact that when I go, um, I hear phenomenal comments about whoever was preaching the week uh, that it was, uh, that someone else was doing it, and Ryan and Drew, really grateful for them, and Paul, who was able to help on Wednesday nights, because as we hopefully, as you understand, uh, we are a church that is committed to the kingdom of God, amen? Like, to the kingdom of God, that's what it is about. And just what an incredible opportunity I had to go over there and have my mind uh, challenged, to have my faith uh, challenged, even. Uh, There's a lot of work that is going on outside of the world. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get stuck in my little world and in my little bubble, when I watch my news programs and think about my city, which are all very, very important, sometimes I can become absolutely overwhelmed. And it just seems like the whole world is going like it is in my small part of the world. And it is good uh, to, to realize that there are so many people out there who share the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And to see believers of different tribes and languages and people groups um, is just an incredible thing. And so uh, we don't believe in missions because we have the truth. We believe in missions because God is truth. And he has called us and them to have an opportunity to come together and to share who he is. And so uh, you'll probably be hearing more about the trip as kind of things go along as I uh, try to sprinkle the things that God is doing and working in my own life and heart um, over the next few weeks and months and hopefully even years. Um, But specifically, I would love it if you would pray for the Lisu Christian people. It is a tribe of people that are located within the countries of Myanmar, Thailand, Laos, and China. And it is a people group that does not recognize the borders that have been put down there. And uh, just there's a lot of stuff that is actually going on and a lot of challenges as uh, a generation... Um, that was able to come to the Lord through the faithful preaching of missionaries back in the 1920s and 30s. Now, when new generations are trying to figure out what does it look like to be Christian and to be Lisu and to live in our world today, uh, it reminds me that every one of us has to wrestle with this. And so be praying for the Lisu Christians and uh, our brothers and sisters over there. Um, And by the way, they really know how to cook. Uh, they really, really, really know how to cook because I went over there thinking, I could use this, it be a great opportunity to lose some weight. And uh, they just love to pile the food in front of you and you're not allowed to say no. So what could I do, right? I don't want to be rude or improper. They gave me a nice shirt. Um, if you have your Bibles, though, we are going to uh, connect to the same Savior that they are connecting with, although they're in the future. They're already done church services over uh, in that part of the world. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 8. We're looking at verses 1 through 17. Um, this section of Scripture comes on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount. So last week, Drew closed with the Sermon on the Mount, and he challenged us to recognize just how important it is for us to follow the words of Jesus Christ, That we cannot just listen we cannot just hear. We cannot just mentally connect to the words of God without it molding and shaping our lives, what we do, how we talk, how we say. Uh, How we speak about our faith. And now all of a sudden we're going to see in the gospel of Matthew that Jesus is going to move from being a wise sage who is speaking this profound truth. He is now going to move to, um, in Matthew's account, he is going to be living out. He's going to be acting out the kingdom that he is talking about. As you even see, we've added this bottom piece now. So the kingdom life is described in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. And now we're going to be looking at the kingdom kingdom and now it is coming in full force and so we're going to move from Jesus speaking to Jesus doing and let me remind you both are important both are valuable and not just to Jesus but also to us this isn't a new statement that I have been making but for years I was wrongly making statements I was wrongly putting this emphasis on what we do like, somehow, that was everything. I've, I've heard people say, and I've been guilty of saying it myself, that I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Now, sure, everybody gets excited when the preacher ends a little early. But this concept of divorcing or separating the idea about what we say and what we do as somehow they're not connected is just not biblical. It's just not true. That what God has called us to do and what Jesus is modeling is not about talking or doing, it's about talking and doing. It is about speaking the truth about who God is. It is about speaking about God's wonderful plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it is also through modeling it. It is by showing kindness and compassion. It is by being a listening ear and uh, being someone who will come along and, and be that friend at a time in need or be that brother who's willing to have a difficult conversation. It is both speaking and doing. And I want you to just think for a moment, which are you more comfortable with? Are you more comfortable with speaking your faith, sharing it, Hi, my name is Jim, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what that actually means. It means that when I wake up, not every morning, but most mornings, I I wake up and I think, okay, God, this is a day that you've given me, and now I'm going to live it in devotion to you. And I'm really very careful about what I do and where I go, and I just try to show God's love and God's compassion and God's grace and God's mercy and God's plan everywhere I go by everything that I do. Okay, that's best-case scenario, by the way. Or are you someone that says, actually, no, I really like talking more about it. Like, I really love sharing the truth about who God is. And let me not just be kind and gracious to you, but let me tell you about God's plan of salvation. I'm going to guess that the majority of us are far more comfortable showing kindness, showing generosity, showing compassion, than actually teaching about it than sharing verbally about the convictions that we have about God and Jesus. I get a little concerned that maybe one of the reasons why in our culture today we are emphasizing so strongly this need for us to be people who show love and compassion and kindness and mercy, one of the reasons why we love that so much is because then we can feel good about ourselves when we never say a word. And as a church, we need to break the silence as we live out our faith, like both are necessary. And we'll actually see why both are necessary as we look at this text this morning. Now, I wanna remind you of, a, of an image that we used earlier in this series. Um, it describes what is happening in the life of Jesus as we move through the Gospel of, uh, the gospel of Matthew. Um, early on in the story, Jesus was much by himself, As Matthew begins, Jesus is starting his ministry and he is speaking about who he is. And as he is teaching the truth about himself, he is in the early chapters, Matthew chapters three and four, he is calling certain people, Peter, Andrew, James, John, um, uh, he hasn't called Matthew yet, but he's called a number of disciples, I want you to come and I want you to follow me, which means I want you to watch what I do and I want you to hear my teachings and I want you to follow me by having your life shaped by my life. My attitude shapes your attitude. My behavior will shape your behavior. And and there were a number of disciples who said, yes, we want to follow you. And as we move on, we'll always notice that there's a group of people, religious leaders mostly, but not only, religious leaders who are very opposed to Jesus, when they hear Jesus talk, he's upsetting the establishment. He's not following the status quo. He's not doing what we always did. He, he somehow is just trying to upset everything. And why can't he just get along with everything? And in the middle are the crowds. And what's interesting is the gospel moves on. The, the crowds, instead of gravitating closer and closer to Jesus, as we know by the time it ends... There's a group of people, the crowds, many of whom I'm sure were healed by Jesus, many of whom were fed by Jesus, many of whom were taught by Jesus. Yell out, crucify him, crucify him. But in Matthew chapter 8, they're, they're really kind of early on in there. They're, they're early on in their, their journey about finding out who Jesus Christ is. They're still, you know, investigating. They're still trying to, you know, putting their toe in the in the pool just a little bit at a time. Let's just try to see where this Jesus guy is ultimately going. And that was a really good sermon that he preached the last few weeks. Really loved some of that stuff. And he speaks. Remember how the Matthew, how Matthew chapter seven ends. And what amazed them the most was that Jesus spoke as one with authority and not as their religious teachers, as the scribes and the Pharisees did. Jesus, but I say unto you, Jesus, build your teaching on my life, for if you do, when the storms come and the storms come, you will stand. This is Jesus, and now he is showing what this life with him is going to look like. And I want you to remember the crowds are still trying to weigh who Jesus ultimately is. And there are a few disciples who've decided to follow Jesus. There are many religious leaders strongly opposing Jesus. And the crowds, in these chapters, you will see people step up and experience the joy of a relationship with Jesus. Probably better yet, they will experience the joy of Jesus blessing them temporarily. And Jesus is making a difference. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to look at three different people in this section of Scripture. And the first one that we come across is a leper. Now, now by the way, most of us, when we think about leprosy, we think of Ben-Hur, right? Right? And they're in those, like they're in that, at the end of the movie and they got these terrible diseases. There's a lot of, actually, confusion in regards to what biblical leprosy is. Um, most commonly, it should not be confused with what is known nowadays as Hansen's disease in which people lose all the feeling in certain parts of their body and they eventually have to be uh, removed or they eventually fall off or become gangrenous. Um, That is really not what biblical leprosy is usually described as, but biblical leprosy is some kind of condition that happens not just to human flesh, but actually to like houses, to clothing, it's some kind of mold or some kind of infection. And when it happens, when we read the books of Leviticus, particularly chapters 13 and 14, it's unclean. It's an illness that needs to be fixed before you can once again yet enter the presence of God. And they had rules for lepers. If you had leprosy so that you wouldn't endanger, not the health, but the spiritual health of people to bring your uncleanness into their presence, you were to cry out, leprous, leprous. I have leprosy. And it wasn't, oh good, I'm glad you let me know because I really hate it when other people make me sick. I wish they would just stay home for the day. That's not the concern. The concern is a spiritual contamination, a if you happen to be leprous and you bump into me, then now I am unclean and I need to go through this ritualistic cleansing, and yet we're going to notice this leper doesn't seem concerned about those things. Verse one, when he, that's Jesus, came down from the mountain, so Matthew is connecting this with the Sermon on the Mount, great crowds followed him, and behold, There's a surprise here. Behold, a leper came to him, not crying out, leper, leper, came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Well, that's a very interesting statement. We're going to see actually in this story today, in these 17 verses, we're going to see three healings. There's a leper, there's a centurion servant, and there's Peter's mother-in-law. And during this encounter, and we see these three things, what I find fascinating is many times in in churches that have extra time and uh, kind of a greater uh, experience with things like health care and a greater interest and a devotion and a love for healthy type things that we begin to read these and think, oh, how can I get Jesus do this for me? And it literally becomes more of a formula that you're trying to create. It's amazing the number of Christian people that I meet that look at texts like this and begin to use it somewhat as a formula for how someone else can. How many of you have heard that if you just have enough faith, God would heal you? How many of you heard that? Anybody heard that? Okay, it's not just me. Yes, this is what people, now I want you to be thinking about all the things that you've heard about who God is and how God heals and his desire for this as we walk through these three particular stories and notice what the man says. The man says to him, Lord, if you will, The, the word there is actually similar to want, if you want to. If you have, the, if you have the, the desire, but not this, do you love me? Do you care for me? But Jesus, I just want you to know that if this is in your plan, I have no doubt at all, Jesus, in your ability to make me whole. Verse 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will in the ESV. It could easily be translated, I want I want this too, for you, I want, I will be clean and immediately, notice the power of who Jesus Christ is, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Jesus kind of sends them on his ordinary, normal Jewish traditional way. You have now encountered God. I am now going to make you clean. And now, what I want you to do, and this is kind of a very interesting statement don't tell anybody. I don't need you running around. We don't need this on Facebook, okay? Don't need this on Facebook. Don't you start bragging about, look at my faith and look what I did. No, 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 we're not going to do any of that. What I want, and there's a lot of speculation in terms of why. I, I, the text really doesn't say. Some people wonder if the reason why Jesus asked for this kind of silence is because he didn't want to create this crowd that is growing to become more and more interested and therefore create kind of an early opposition from the, from the religious leaders. We do know that the more Jesus does some pretty powerful healings, the more that the religious opposition mounts up and ultimately kills him. We don't know exactly what it is. I wonder sometimes if maybe Jesus says, hey, I don't really need to tell everybody because like the number one thing Jesus is trying to do, and I want you to hear this. This was kind of a bit of a a revelation to me. was a few years ago as I was thinking about who God is and then I think about who I am, I I began to see myself as kind of like Jesus' cheerleader. (laughs) Give me a J. Give me an e. Give me an s. I know actually a youth pastor who said was he was spelling it. Give me another e. No, it's not J E S E S. It's J-E-S-U-S. Give me a J, give me an E, give me an S. And we want to cheer on Jesus. And, and boy, if we could get people to know Jesus and to like Jesus, and maybe if I live my life and they could like Jesus by liking me, and maybe if I can give them this, then maybe I can help them love Jesus. And one of the things that's just so hard is, like, Jesus isn't popular anymore. It just makes me sad. Because I bet you He's sad. And a lot of Christians really look at their job or their, their, their value or their importance to Jesus Christ is running around and being his cheerleader. And I began to look up into the heavens and think about God and think about Jesus and then I realized, yeah, he doesn't need me to cheer for him. Like Jesus isn't in heaven going, you know, I got this one Facebook page and nobody likes me. That's not what he's trying to do. Even when Jesus was on earth, Think about all that he could have done to just gather attention and support. Like, could you imagine? Like, if if you were Jesus, would you not go some rather public place and just go, watch this, and just start doing crazy stuff? Would that not be what you would do? Oh yeah, like forget just, we we know of Jesus raising Lazarus, and we know of Jesus raising like Jairus' daughter, but if you were Jesus, would you not just raise everybody from the dead for fun? Hey, let's start over again. Let's watch this. I'm going to bring back Moses. Like, think all the things that you would do if you were Jesus. And Jesus says, I really think what he's saying is like, I don't need you to go tell everybody about me and what I did. Like, I really don't need that. What I need you to do is to go and to show yourself. Have a good day. Wow. By the way, that doesn't mean that what we do and how we share our faith, it doesn't matter, but it helps me to realize that Jesus just deeply loved this person and wanted, wanted to heal him so that he could worship again. That's what's at stake. And he just does that. I I love telling people, who have the best of intentions, who look at me and feel this incredible burden. Oh, I just feel like God has given me so much, and I feel like God has given me such a great opportunity or a great position or a great whatever, and I'm just trying to figure out what he wants. I think of this story, and by the way, there are many others that are like this, where Jesus just basically says, hey, I I just want you to enjoy this. Like what I want you to do is to enjoy me, like what I, what I want you to do is, is, is maybe in, in due time share with other people about the mercy that I have shown you, but, but by the way, there, I don't need you to just get a t-shirt, matching bracelet. Like I don't need all of that. Jesus Christ loves this leper and he heals him. Continues on in verse five. And when he had entered into Capernaum, this is a city, Jerusalem is down in the south, and Capernaum is a city up on the, on the Sea of Galilee in the north. Jerusalem is where there really is like a hotbed of controversy. It's where the majority of religious leaders who are opposing Jesus actually reside for the most part. Not that Jesus isn't going to have trouble in other locations like in Capernaum and in Nazareth, but definitely we see in the Galilean ministry of Jesus Christ a lot more support. And in this particular region, all of a sudden, we're going to see that a centurion, a Gentile, which is strong in actually Matthew's gospel, a centurion comes forward to him, and appealing to him, he says, Lord, which is a big word. Now, it could mean anything from sir to lord. We don't know exactly what he understood about the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. But we do know that he knew enough, not just to call him Lord, but to seek him out and to ask him for this. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, Jesus speaking, I will come and heal him. Centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes, and I say another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is a centurion who would have been a leader of century hundred. He he would have been under, like a legionnaire who would have been over him. And he is saying, I get how this whole system works. I grew up in the military, he says, and I'm in the military, and I understand that what you have in this authoritative structure is you have things that we can go and say and come and do. And people who have that kind of authority, and I'm thinking Matthew 7, the very end, and they knows Jesus, Jesus has authority. A man come, Jesus, I know that you have the power and the ability. The centurion, I know, I don't even need you to come, he actually says. You just say the word. Man, what great faith. And Jesus continues in verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, this is an interesting phrase, he marveled. Now, hear me. I'm not arguing that Jesus didn't know any of this and was absolutely surprised. But it still says he marveled. The Greek word means to stand outside yourself, like, wow. Jesus marveled, and he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, Now Jesus is going to give some instructions to the crowds. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and to the centurion Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So in the middle of this healing story, Jesus actually points out, this man has great faith. And by the way, he's not even Jewish. Like he doesn't even have the religious background and the religious pedigree that the rest of the religious leaders have that many people in the crowd has. But what he has is an understanding of who I am. And I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. See, what what we're seeing here is not just, wow, Jesus really loves people. And Jesus is really showing a lot of nice compassion. And look at how kind and gracious God is, although all of those things are true. But we actually have our our people coming up, and they are acknowledging what the crowd acknowledged in Matthew chapter 7, which is there is something different about Jesus. Like, he's not just a teacher He has a power and authority to do things like cleanse me of my uncleanness. He has the ability to take that which is broken and sick and make it whole again. And he doesn't even need to come to my house to do it. This isn't magic. This isn't some kind of abracadabra. This is like, it's almost like it's God in flesh. Because it really is God in flesh. And Jesus is demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like when it crashes into their broken, spiritually diseased, physically, literally physically corrupted world. And Jesus giving them one of my favorite ways, I just can't help but thinking it this way, I had a professor who'd always use this phrase, he would talk about Jesus coming and it was basically a preview of coming attractions do you love a good trailer? I love a good trailer. I mean, I have a chance, and I you know, I'm, see if I want to watch this movie. I want to just get a preview of what it's going to be like. Actually, trailers can actually be a little deceptive. How many of you have been, like, at a movie theater, and you're watching, I think they have, like, 320 trailers before every movie now, <laughs> right? But how many of you have watched a trailer and went, I, try, I need to watch that movie, and you even remember it and then you go and you watch it, you know, whatever it is, four months later, five months later and go, wow, the trailer was better than the movie. What Jesus is doing in Matthew 8, what we actually see him doing is demonstrating what the kingdom is going to look like. I I really get Ashley's concern and Ashley's complaint. Like I understand looking at people in my own life, people that I love dear, and I'm asking God, why aren't you healing and why aren't you fixing? Because I saw you do it here and God, why isn't? And Because I, I know that you've done it here and God, I'm trying to figure this out and I can't, I just can't nail, like if I just haven't, is it my faith? Because if you look at the first story, it's definitely the leper who has the faith. The centurion servant, how much faith does this describe him as having? Answer? Doesn't even talk about it. Oh, okay. So it's the centurion's faith. So maybe if I have enough faith, then my sister can walk again, right? Maybe it's my faith that matters so much. By the way, we're about to deal with the third part of this story, and it doesn't even mention Peter's faith or the mother-in-law's faith. It's just Jesus decides to do it. When the kingdom of God comes, we will see It moves like the wind, wherever it chooses. And, and God has a plan, whatever he chooses. And, and we should never doubt his love, and we should never doubt his power and his authority. And can I add one more thing? And it's the hardest thing. And we should never, uh, we should never like, um, take advantage of or presume that he's going to do exactly what we want. Cause there's something bigger that's always happening. There's something more that is always moving. It's, it's not Jim's kingdom. Actually, it's God's kingdom. And it's not for Jim's glory, or Jim's ease, or Jim's comfort, or the people that Jim loves the most. It is far deeper and far richer. It is far more, if I could just use the word, complicated, So much so that what we are about to see is that it is going to cost the life of the Son of God to bring about. And Jesus describes that when when life gets this complicated, and notice what he describes here. Wow, this this Roman military guy has all this faith. And then he says this. And and by the way, there's going to be all these people who have this Jewish privilege, who have this great, rich tradition, and they're going to forsake it. And there's gonna be a whole group of people who don't have the heritage and who don't have the the, the rich pedigree of knowing the stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're going to get into the kingdom because they're going to get me. I sometimes feel like I've... uh, I don't know, it was, it was actually easy for me to be in Thailand because I remember looking around and thinking, I, I've never really felt at home anywhere. Like maybe it's because my dad was in the military and so we moved every five years. And, and maybe it was because the fact that, you know, my, my dad's parents lived in Quebec and my mom's parents lived in Manitoba. And so even as we were moving, I was never really around grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and maybe it was because once Andrea and I got married, God said, I want you to move to Missouri. Maybe that was part of it. And then I did graduate school in Illinois and then I came back. And and so literally when I was walking around in Thailand and they're like, what do you think? And isn't this strange? I'm like, actually everywhere I go is strange. Like everywhere I go, I kind of feel like a bit of a stranger. I feel like I'm not really connecting. And then I meet other believers in Jesus Christ and I I find people that are kind of on a similar journey. Like, Like maybe when you come to church, this doesn't feel like at home for you. Like like maybe you think, I don't have the same rich tradition. I don't have believing parents. I don't have all of this. Listen, like that's not what matters most. Like believing parents are, are an incredible blessing. But my parents didn't have believing parents and they found Jesus. And I want you to know that This Jesus is so amazing and so incredible that you don't need a rich pedigree. You don't need to have it all figured out. You can come broken. You can come in need of a miracle. You can come with all of these things. You just need to recognize the power and the authority that Jesus has over everything, including your life. Well, in the, in the Gospels, even mother-in-laws get healed, so look at this. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, by the way, there, you can actually go and see this. They, they found, they've unearthed Peter's house in Capernaum. I've been there. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law, this is the third person, lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. And that evening, like once you do that, it's Katie bar the door. That evening, they brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. Like, this is who Jesus is. This is his authority, and this is his heart. The two things that matter the most can God make a difference? And does God want to? And the answer is yes. Like I know it seems like it's no. I know it seems like it's weight. I know it seems like it's difficult. But the answer is yes. God knows our pain. God knows our struggle. God knows our brokenness. God knows our illnesses. God knows our need. How do I know this? Because none of this text is about a leper or a centurion or a mother-in-law. Look at verse 17. This is how we know. All of this, he says, was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's from Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4. I don't know if you know Isaiah 53, but it's a very popular section of Scripture. And in this section of Scripture, it describes all that Jesus prophesies, all that Jesus is going to do to make the world right again. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. This is an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus Christ. Surely, the prophet writes... All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. What Matthew wants us to see is not just that Jesus has the ability and that Jesus has the caring, compassionate heart to make a difference. What he really wants us to see is that Jesus is the ultimate plan of God. And a leper comes up and says, I know that you can heal me of leprosy, and I just got to think Jesus is going to say, you have no idea how much I can heal you of. You have no idea the kind of cleansing that I can bring to you. The leper is thinking, you know, if you can heal me, I can go to the temple again. And Jesus is thinking, do you understand, like, in just a short period of time, you will not even need to go to the temple, but you'll be able to worship God in spirit and in truth because I'm going to tear down the veil. The centurion says, I know what it's like to have authority, and I say, come, and they come, and go, and they go, and and I know that you have this same power. I've got this servant that I really love who's paralyzed, and and maybe he's going to even die, and I just want you to heal him. Is there any way that you could just say a word? And Jesus is saying, you have no idea just the power that my words can bring. Like, you have no idea the fullness of what I can bring and the salvation that is ultimately going to come. Like if you, if you understood exactly what you could ask of me and what I could do, it would blow your mind. And Peter's mother-in-law, saying nothing, and it kind of looks like it's just a little small thing. She just has a fever. And Jesus touches her and she gets up and she serves him. And Matthew is drawing all of these things together and saying, listen, yes, God is a God of compassion, and God is a God of kindness. But God is a God who by his grace and for his glory is redeeming the world, and he is restoring it. And what we see in these stories, in particularly Matthew 8 and 9, is this preview of coming attractions about what God's world is ultimately going to be like. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed for my sister, who since August 17th, 1970, has been confined to a wheelchair. I can't tell you the number of times as a child I prayed, God, just make her walk now. Okay, now. Okay, Now. I can't tell you the number of times I have sat by a bed or poured oil over someone's head or just with tears, just begged God to do some amazing things. And and by the way, I have seen him do some amazing things. And I'm really grateful that when I was little, my father would tell me stories about a day when my sister wouldn't be in a wheelchair and he described it like it was real. Like he, he described it like it was just right around the corner. Like, what are you talking about, Dad? I'm, I'm telling you, Jim, there's going to be a day and Diana will be running and playing and this will all just, will all just seem like nothing in comparison to when God makes her whole again. Like, Dad, do you, do you really believe that? Like, yes, I really believe that. Like, why do you believe that? Well, because, Jim. This is God's plan. And I remember thinking, because it was probably, I was probably eight or nine years old at the time, I was thinking, well, that's just going to be forever. Like, it's just going to be forever away. Like, I just, I need it now. I just need it right now. And the older I get, the more I realize that I do not understand the ways in which God works. And I still think it's great. I still pray. God, I still do this, actually, visiting her. Diana's like 60 years old now, you know, lying in a bed, sometimes in her wheelchair. God, make her walk right now. (laughs) It hasn't changed. I still believe he can if he wants. And I know that one day there will be, like, this incredible connection between what he wants and what is. And in between that time, what he has given me as the greatest gift in the world is Jesus to help bridge that gap. Listen, I get why you're struggling with why God doesn't, and what does God give us to kind of carry us over? Do you know what he gives us? A savior. He gives us what we really need. Because more than that man needed to be cleansed, he needed to be saved. And more than that centurion servant needed to be healed, he needed to be saved. And more than that fever to be lifted, Peter's mother-in-law needed to be saved. And that's what Isaiah 53 is all about. And that's what Jesus is all about. Please, do not get wrapped up in a way of thinking about God and living your own faith where you are moving from prayer request to prayer requests, asking for temporary things realize that one that you are speaking to and the one that you are speaking through is far more its more capable of far more than you could even imagine he is our savior let's pray And so, God, I thank you for Jesus and the full reality of who he is. I thank you for the fact that he comes as more than just a teacher and more than just a uh, kind of a wise person who's going to give us great insight on life. I'm grateful for these stories which demonstrate the power of what he is capable of. But more than that, God, there's just no way to look at this text, and even Matthew won't let us look at it without thinking about the cross, And so I thank you for that, for the fact that the only way that any of us find healing and ultimate spiritual healing and forgiveness and renewal is by what Jesus does on the cross. And may that never be something that is secondary to us. I pray that that would be our best and most proper understanding of who he is. And God, from the full reality of Jesus, may we give our lives completely to you, for you. It is in the name of Jesus we humbly pray, amen. If you would love to continue this faith conversation, we would love to continue it with you. There will be people down front. We love you guys, God bless, and we will see you Wednesday night.